everybody, we just hit a major milestone. We crossed 2 million subscribers on YouTube. We obviously could not have done it without you guys, this amazing community, which has been there for us from day one. And speaking of day one, hitting this milestone made us all think about our very first guest ever, the extraordinary Michael Strahan. And to honor the crossing of the two million mark, we're gonna re-air the episode where Michael and I talk about how to build a winning mindset, how to cultivate real happiness in your life, and how to always, and I mean always, do the work. All right, without further ado, I bring you NFL Hall of Famer and host of Good Morning America, the one, the only, Michael Strahan. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, how have you been? Oh, I've been great. Busy, but good. Really, you? A little bit. <laughs> how often do you go back and forth, coast to coast? Every weekend, That's from September crazy. through basically February till Super Bowl. Every time I get on a plane and I have to fly like two and a half hours and it's thirty minutes delayed, and I'm all pissed <laughs> off. I think. Strahan is doing this literally every weekend. That's but it's good for me because, to be honest with you, it's, it's the most quiet, peaceful six hours coming this way of my week. Right. So if I, if I want to be on the phone, if I want to do email, if I want to you know, do that, I can. But if not, if I want to take a nap, which is mostly what I do, then I can do that. But that's why I don't complain, too, because my father worked really hard. Mm. And if my biggest complaint is being on an airplane and sleeping, right. then I got a problem if I'm complaining about that. Yeah. So I, I keep everything in check by thinking back to how hard and how realistic life is mm. and how, you know, I've been very fortunate. I don't take it for granted. Yeah. You're super thoughtful. Like, you really think about shit, like, pretty deeply. I mean, you go into, you go into some depth about, like, um, the neurochemical cascades and how to manipulate them and life philosophies and very specifically, like, not just... Because you've got this concept from your dad, I believe, of it's not if, it's when. Yeah. Which, okay, most people leave it at the platitude, but you went a lot deeper than that. What does, like, walk us through that philosophy. How do you bridge the gap from if to when? I think I actually got that from my dad without even knowing. I don't even know if he knew what he was doing. <laughs> you know, my dad, I think it, it, it is, he's just a hard-driving person. Mm. He grew up with nothing in the backwoods of Texas and Weirgate, Texas. I don't even know if the town exists anymore. And he decided to leave. And he, he went into the Army and just enlisted. And he was a soldier for 12 years. And he realized, I can't be what I want to be. I can't be an officer. I can't really advance without an education. Right. He got out of the Army. After 12 years, had five kids and me on the way, went to Prairie View University and went into their ROTC program. They called him old man. You can't do this. You can't do that. And he graduated magna cum laude of the, of the ROTC class. And so I can't tell him what I can't do because right. he's been in a lot of tougher situations and he's done it. And I just remember as a kid but being working out and doing all those things with him because there was a, I started to work out when I was 13 and a little chunky. And my brothers called me Bob, which is, in the, of course, you read that in the book, Bob, Bob, which meant booty on back. And they would say, you can grab your wallet over your shoulder. You don't have to reach <laughs> behind you. And it hurt me, man. I'm 13 years old. I was crushed. I'm the youngest of six the young, and, the, and the youngest of four boys. And I bought the Jane Fonda workout book. Mm. And I started doing the, you know, the, the, the leg lifts and the butt kicks. And my dad saw that. And he said, hey, we can go to the gym. 
and he would read Muscle and Fitness magazines and all these, these, these workout magazines, and he would write out programs, and we'd go to the gym, and you have to write how many reps and how much weight, and he kept a meticulous log of things, and I didn't always want to be there, yeah, sure. but he could tell. And I don't know what it was when you tell a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid that we did it until I went off to, to college, was hang in there to pay off one day. Now, he's telling this to me, and I'm living in Germany. Right. It's not like I'm in the States and I play football, and it's like, oh, next year you're going to have a great football season, and then you can get a scholarship. It was, just hang in there, son. It'll pay off one day. Right. And years later, he woke up and said, hey, I think you're good enough to play football. I think you can get a football scholarship. This is all in Germany. That's what's weird. It's not yeah. like you're playing every day and, you know, really around no. it. And I, I would watch it, but I didn't play. I didn't really know all the nuances or any of the techniques or anything about the game. And he just said, hey, you can do it. You're going to go to Houston. You're going to stay with your uncle. Mm. You're going to get a football scholarship. And being, I guess, naive, I said, <laughs> okay. No big, okay, fine. On the plane, I go jump, see my uncle, stay with my uncle for five months, play one year football high school at Westbury High School in Houston, got one scholarship to Texas Southern University, mm. didn't care where it was, I mission was accomplished, and I went back to Germany that December and I graduated high school over there. Mm. And my dad never told me if, he never doubted me, he said, you're going to do this and you can do that. From a kid until we won the Super Bowl, until... You know, all these things that are happening now. He's never doubted me. And I don't know if it was by design. I don't know if he sent me to Houston because he just was too cheap to pay for college. <laughs> but <laughs> it worked out. And my mentality, and I've, I have adopted that with, for myself and with my, my kids. It's not, if you really want something bad enough, right. it's not going to be easy. And you can see where you want to go. But there are so many things you're going to have to go through to get there. But truly, if you focus and know where you want to end up, you'll be there. It may not be at the exact time you want, which is now is kind of immediate for most people, but you'll eventually get there at your time when you're supposed to. Yeah, that it's such a powerful belief, and you talk a lot about that in the book. And, and so I judge books in a very critical fashion, which mm -hmm. is either the information is usable or it's not. And then if it's usable, if I do it, will it work or not? Um, your book is both usable, meaning there's clear, very action-oriented steps. It's not just like an autobiography. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, do this, and this is what I did. If people do what you say in the book, it will actually work. Like, it's really incredible advice, and it has fantastic backing in your understanding of the brain and all of that. It's you make decisions. It's up to you. You know, you make choices in your life. You program your mind to either be happy or not. That's mm -hmm. a choice that you make. It's not something that somebody else makes for you. It's not, um, not even your situation. No matter what the situation, you truly do make the choice to be happy in that situation or not. And we also have the ability to change a situation that we're not happy with. Talk a little bit about that, because if, if for anybody that doesn't know the sort of legendary beef that you had with the final coach at the Giants, it's oh. such a powerful... <laughs> and, and what I'm talking about specifically is is that you've switched, right? So you come in hot, you guys are oh, we angry, hated you're butting other. heads. Yeah. But then in the end, you said that if you were going to go back, he's the only one that you'd go back and play for. Yeah, I absolutely hated Tom Coughlin. <laughs> and um, uh, not long ago, I was at the Giants Monday night game to induct him into the Ring of Honor, which was like amazing for me because this is a guy, I went to my first meeting with him, and I had been in the NFL for 11, 12 years. Mm. My first meeting with the guy and I felt as if he was dismissive, mm. 
and as if I hadn't accomplished anything and pretty much listen to me and you can do something with your life, kid. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, uh, kind of done some things right. already. But I felt disrespected and slighted. And I, I went home and I said, I'm playing one year with this guy because I have to now, I'm right. too late. But I'm not going to play after this. I, I can't stay here with this guy. Mm. I won't do it. And he already had a bad reputation around the league as being a really tough coach. And he was. If your socks weren't pulled up high enough, you get a fine. If you had blue sleeves on instead of gray sleeves that day, you get a fine. Right. If you're not five minutes early to a meeting, you get fined. I'm like, dude, if the meeting's at 7.55, just tell me that. Don't tell me 8 and I get to 7.57 and I'm late. Like, it was just we were butting heads, and not just with me but with all the players. But being that I was a senior leader, they would come to me and I would talk to him. Hey, coach. And he would just go, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And it came to a head after he fined me for being three minutes early to a meeting. We had a heated discussion to the point where he was like, um, you know what? It is what it is. And I said, Coach, we just had this discussion. Well, you shouldn't cut it so close. I said, Coach, I'm not cutting it close. He goes, well, next time, you're lucky I could have fined you more. And when he said that, it, it just, that's when the football player side went, and, and I heard you say shit, so I'm going to curse. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I said to him. And I said, okay, that's fine. You can find me. ain't about the money anyway. It's about the principle. But you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. You want to find me? I'll come in here when I want to then. If I'm going to be late, you're going to find me. I might as well show up when I want. So I'll go do some errands. Then I'll come into this bitch when I want to. And he looked at me like, and I was surprised because that was kind of like, you know, the whole different side. that's usually on the field. And he said, you can't talk to me like that. And I said, yes, I can. He said, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. And you know why? Because if you don't respect me, I can't respect you. Mm. And I said, I come to you every day with all the problems of the players and what the guys are feeling. And you always say to me, I hear you. I hear you. And I said, when you say that, you're just dismissing me. And you think I don't realize that. You're dismissing me. But you're losing this team. Do you hear that? And I walked away from him. And ever since that day, our relationship has been like that. It's as if we two dogs circling around see who's going to jump on each other and we finally got into a scrum, but we came out of it with an understanding that we both wanted the same thing, and that was to win. Once we really deep looked at it deeply, we both wanted to win. Mm. And I was so uh, um, happy to see him change to the point where it made me change and realize that if you both had the same objectives... You just have to find a way to make it work to get there. He loosened up his stance with the players. We loosened up our stance with his rules as far as we were more attentive to them. And guys felt like we weren't fighting against the rules. We were fighting the opponent on the field. Right. Where before, we were fighting his rules instead of focusing on who we were playing that week. And he became a coach who would come in and tell jokes and give you a hug and tell you he loved you. And before, he was not that guy. Yeah, and I've heard you tell stories about it was sort of the insight of seeing him with other kids, players' yeah. kids, his own grandkids. Kurt Warner. Like, what the hell? Kurt Warner on the day off. You know, the quarterbacks, they go and they pick up the game plan. And Kurt Warner, our quarterback at the time, went in to pick up his game plan with his kids. Mm. He goes into the quarterback off, co coach's office, and when he comes out, Coach Coughlin is on the floor with his kids outside the office playing. And it's like, why don't we as players see that compassion, mm. that side of you? Because it's definitely there. We see you with your grandkids sometimes, but 
it was amazing to see him do it. And he learned how to transfer that over to us as adults. And we, in, in, in turn, learned how to, you know, give him everything. Because as a coach, the toughest thing and the thing I loved about playing and the one thing I love about work and working with a lot of people is the leadership aspect. It is the opportunity to get so many people to believe in one thing that makes everybody better so that everybody wins. And in order to do that, you, may, you have to make everybody have value and feel valuable. I don't care if it's somebody who's sweeping the floor or the, or the president of the company. Everybody needs to be treated like a human being with value. And if they are, they will do anything for you. And once he got that down, guys would do anything for him. And I was one of those guys that once I was into that matrix, anything he needed, it would get done. And all the way down to just my belief in us winning a Super Bowl and watching all that happen and, and just the way that we did it. And now if I had to go back and play, seriously, I, would, I wouldn't play for any other coach. If he wanted me to play for him, I would play for him only. It's interesting that you tie it to compassion. So one of the, the most fascinating things about you off camera, which, dear God, if you ever get a chance to spend time with Michael Strahan, <laughs> take it. Hey, we're going to hang out. I'm around. Just let me know. <laughs> Hit him up on that. Let me tell you right now. So Joe Glazer summed you up really well when he was doing the Hall of Fame induction speech. Oh, yeah. And he said, Strahan has a switch. And he is one guy off the field, and he's another guy when he comes out the tunnel. And when he flips that switch, he's there to stomp you, out. stomp you out. Yes. So, hanging out with you, you're so warm and so fr- it is crazy. The bear hugs, the just kindness, the generosity like people, of spirit. It, but here's the thing: it's one thing to like people when you're on camera, and everyone is going to distrust that. It's yeah. another when you're just you really are like that. And it's from a leadership perspective, it's such a beautiful thing to open yourself up to that. I love your ritual of going around before the game and yeah. touching everybody. Yeah, that was important. And I actually really want to start doing that with the team here. Like, we've got such a group of diehard people. And it had, like, in doing... So the whole point, to me, of the people that I bring on the show is to bring people, the more I research them, the more I get to know who they are, mm-hmm. that I'll find these little nuances that I can bring into my own life. And when I pictured you going around to everybody and, and saying, I'm accountable to you, mm-hmm. right? I'm accountable to you. And when I go out on that field... I'm going to hold us up. I'm going to do what we've all agreed that we're here to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, like that's so powerful. And to have built that trust and rapport with them ahead of time where they feel connected to you. And then you say, hey, I'm here to serve you, mm-hmm. right? Like we're all going to do this together. That's super, it's super bigger than, It's bigger than, it was, it was always bigger than me. And I had success on a football field, singular success. Right. You know, I've been defensive player of the year a few times, and it's like, I can't celebrate this or team had losing records. Like, there's no, I never found much joy in something that was a singular success. Right. The best time, does anyone ever ask me, what is the best thing from your career? It's like, it's a Super Bowl. It's everybody being able to celebrate the accomplishment of us as a team and not me as an individual. And, and there is definitely a switch you have to have. And to me, I, I do love people, and, and it's natural for me to be nice to people. I don't know any other way. I don't know why you wouldn't be. But it's also it's worked for me because in, in anything I do, I don't have to be fake. I don't have to be something I'm not. Right. So I don't have to be nice to you here and then leave and you see me later on because I've been around a lot of people like that. 
And it's as if they're a different person. Like, right. I just saw you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Who is this guy? Right. And I never wanted to be that. I always wanted to be myself the entire time, which works great for me. I love psychology of things. Mm. That's why I think I love a team. I love getting people on the same page. And the psychology of, from football to me, in, in the media, with football, simple things. You get the game program every week. And it's the same picture throughout the whole year of the guys. But I had a ritual. I would look at the program. I would look at everybody on my team, same guys. And then I would look at the other team's guys. Mm. And when you're a young player, you get intimidated by faces. And some guy sitting there looking like this. And you're like, oh, man, that guy's a killer. Oh, I don't, I'm a scared. But as I got older, I said, oh, psych- psychologically, if somebody looks like that, then they're, tr- you know, then, okay. How much more afraid would you be if somebody you know is a killer and they're just smiling? <laughs> so in my program picture, I'd be like this. <laughs> it looked like a glamorous shot. Like, it looked like I went to the mall. It was like, this is the guy? He must be crazy to be smiling in these photos like this. And, and so like, I would just do little silly things like that. With the media, I didn't talk every day. Mm. So then I, I said, I'll I talk one day a week. I talk Thursdays. And I did it because if you talk all the time, it's like going to the same restaurant. It's not special. Mm. And especially in the media of New York, when there are so many different people and so many um, outlets and everybody just with so much content, you need yours to stand out. So if you want to talk to me and you only get me one day a week, I guarantee when I talk to you, you're going to cherish that and you're going to use that. And I would mix it up on the media as well as they would give me a hard time. I give them a hard time. I'll t- one question today. I'm not in a bad mood, but I just act like, give me one question. They ask me one, answer, they ask me a second. I said, you didn't hear what I said? I said, one. I'm sorry, I got to go. Right. Then other days I sit there and I would chat. <laughs> How your wife doing? You know, everything's good. And I would just mix them up, keep them off, their, off, off balance mm. a little bit. And I just enjoyed the psychological battle of football. I enjoyed the psychological battle of the media. And, and in a lot of ways now... Um, it's not quite the same, but I still like that, that aspect of psychologically getting everybody on the same page to be successful. Mm. Yeah, there's some pretty uh, incredible footage of you getting, well, let's talk psychological warfare and then getting everybody on the same page. So one, the trash talking that you did when you would tackle people was absolutely I, fantastic. Welcome home, baby. I love Yeah. <laughs> there were some great ones, but then... <laughs> What you did in the Super Bowl was really, really crazy, and I want to hear what was the, the psychological principle at work. So you, the team is losing, but you gather everybody on the sideline, and you say, you're losing at the moment. I think it was 10 to 14. Yeah. To the undefeated champions coming mm-hmm. into this game, and you say, with like very little time left, guys, we're one drive away. We're going to win 17 to 14. That's going to be the final score. If you believe it, it's going to happen. Gene Strayhead, my dad. That's crazy. Well, yeah, it was it was weird, because by the way, that was the end score. That was the end score uh, against an undefeated team, eighteen and zero at that point, and had beaten us early in the season. And I, I just, my dad that that week in Phoenix, he said, you know what, you guys have already won the game, and I was like, I think an old man's losing it. What's he talking about? You guys have already won the game. Now you just have to go through the formalities. But trust me, you've already won the game. And I'm thinking, have you seen the Patriots? <laughs> have you seen their record? Have you see how good they are? It's Tom Brady and Randy Moss. Junior Seau, like all these phenomenal um, Hall of Fame players over there. And 
We got to the point in that game where there are just several things that come to mind. Bill Belichick is a brilliant coach, probably the best coach ever to, to coach professional football. And we had a fourth down. They had to punt. He rushes the punt team out there. They run a punt. We didn't get all our guys off the field in time. So it gives them a first down in our territory. And field goal position and everything else. And Tom Coughlin's losing it. You know, he's beat red. He's screaming on the sideline. And I, I just had such a peace during that game. So he tells this story um, all the time. And he said, you reached over and you grabbed me by my shoulders before you ran out on the field. And you smiled and said, coach. Don't worry, we got it. And we go out, I actually got a sack. That's the sack I got on that drive. Moved them out of field goal position. They didn't score any points. And that was just like the peacefulness of the game. So when we came to that point in the fourth quarter where they scored uh, and they went up 14-10, it was like, you know what? If Dad said we're going to win, damn it, we're going to win. <laughs> now, I'm not on offense. I can't do anything about it. But I'm going to go over here and talk to the guys who can and we're in this together. Our, our journey to get there has been too great to end like this. I mean, we're here for a reason. There's something special about us being here because we were not supposed to be here. And I went on and said, 17-14, fellas, will be the final score. Believe it, and it will happen. One touchdown will work. We'll be world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. And we won 17-14, and I retired after that. What I love about stories like that from someone who has built their career around hard work, discipline, watching more tape, putting more hours, running the stairs more often, is that the lurking behind the believe it and it will happen is um, psychological principle for lack of a better word, right? Mm -hmm. So it's what are the things that you do on a regular basis from a routine perspective to build that mindset to know that you've put in the work that you're able to execute um, and, and essentially not get in your own way? You know, I think, I think we doubt ourselves more than anybody else ever doubts us. So, and I fight that too. I fight that every day, especially you know, with these new jobs and businesses that I've never um, thought that I would be in or never knew I could be in or was supposed to or could be any good at. And I think the thing, the routines that I have, I mean, my routines are very simple. I find out what the job is, and I bust my ass to get it done. And it's not, half the stuff is not that complicated. Mm. For, for, for GMA, I understand that I need to read. I need to read a lot. I need to know what I'm talking about before I open my mouth. And it's something great about that because it's challenged me in a way that I haven't, been challenged. At live, I didn't have to do that. Live, I could take two minutes to read the questions that I'm going to ask the guest, and then the rest of it was personality driven. <laughs> so I could get away with just, you know, being there and just being, you know, I guess joyful and, and entertaining. Where GMA requires some of that, but it requires for you to have some knowledge on different mm -hmm. things. And that's what I love about it. It takes me back, to be honest with you, to football. And it relates to football to me because not growing up playing, I was still learning my 15th and final season. Right. I never got bored with the game. And that's how I feel about GMA. I don't think I'll ever get bored because every day is so different. And every day is a challenge. And so for me, it's about just studying and knowing what my job is and knowing what my job description is and knowing what, I'm, what I can bring to the equation. And the toughest thing 
you know, going to GMA for me was figuring that out because you have George, you have Robin, you have Amy, you have Lara. And you have people who have been established on the show that has been established for a long time. And how does my personality fit in? So it's been like, you know, running into a wall here and there until I can find, okay, I fit into that slot. Mm. Now let me find the next one. And it's a work in progress. I'm, you know, I work every day. You know, the wheels are spinning in my head as I'm right. sitting there with the camera on my face and I'm talking to about how to be myself within a situation that you usually don't have a chance to inject personality into. But that's what they want. And, um, but it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's been fun. It's been exciting. And I wake up every day and I love being there and I love making the people around me happy that I'm there. That's important to me too. Yeah, that was really neat. So going from part-time to full-time, you do the first day. And I remember one of the first things they said to you, um, I forget who said it, but she said, you know, we're all looking forward to our morning kiss on the cheek. And she said it so warmly. It was like for a second, she was not a TV personality. She was your friend and she was super stoked that it was like going to be, you know, this uh, like slumber party every day that you guys were going to get to be able to hang out. And I thought, wow, that's so cool that you're able to have that. And I'm a routine person. If I take my wallet out of my pants at night, I know where I put it. That way I know it's there. Like, oh, where's my wallet? Where are my keys? I'm not that guy. But I'm also a routine person in terms of when I go to work, like, Mm. good morning. Very simple words, not hard. (laughs) I'm joyful and happy to be there. I'm going to be the same. I'm going to, good morning. I talk to the everybody and certain people I know they're the connection when you get a you know good morning shake somebody's hand you give or you walk by and you give them a tap on the shoulder like those things are important because when I was a kid I was washing dishes I was cutting grass I I was a mover and you were unseen you were very unseen and unappreciated and in some in some ways talk to as if you weren't you know not only say we weren't human but you just were below at a level below and and that has always bothered me and to this day it bothers me to think about that because i remember when that was happening thinking to myself you think this is where i'm gonna be right this is just what i gotta do now to get where i'm going and i didn't necessarily know where i was going but i knew it was not gonna be there and so it's very important that when i walk in there's one particular security guard who you know he just every time you walk in he just and now I said, good morning, how you doing? Hey, bud, have a good day, everything else. And now when I walk in, hey, Michael, how you doing? Like, it totally changed. And I see his, he's happy when I walk around that corner. And just because he feels valuable, man. And that's so important to me because you get so much more out of yourself and so much more out of people because you're in an environment you created. Right. You created happiness because you want to be happy and you want to be around happy people. And sometimes it's, you got to, you know, you got to bang your head against the wall to make it happen. But you have to be consistent with it and you have to be persistent with it. And if you are, then people come around to that. And then people can trust you because they know what they're going to get. One of the worst things is to be unpredictable in terms of your emotion or the way that you approach people. Mm. Because that makes people, you know, I don't want to yeah, get to yeah, that. The Never want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that you know what you're going to get. Unless you were a reporter when I was a player. And, um, <laughs> but you know what you're going to get, and you know what you're going to get is going to be genuine. Right. It's going to be honest. It's going to be real. It's going to be sincere. And you're going to get everything I have to make this work. And, and in some ways, I'm a perfectionist, 
at work, if I mess up one word or not think of something, I'll go, I don't watch myself on TV for that reason. Half the time, it bothers me. Because they say, oh, that was great. And I'll go, damn, I missed that. Yeah. I see Trust it. Trust me, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> no, for real. And yeah. so going back to what you're saying about creating happiness, which is an incredibly, really, really important concept that I hope everybody is listening to, um, once you understand it's a creation, once you understand it's neurochemistry, once you understand that that's something that you can craft and control, everything in your life changes. Yeah. Once you realize that, that it's all a construct, right? That you uh, can shape it. Then you realize that you're awake in the matrix. And that was the first thing that you and I connected yeah. over when we first met. And I don't even remember why I brought it up, I guess, because I'm so obsessed uh, <laughs> with the matrix. I bring it up to everybody, but I'm literally wearing this shirt in your honor. Uh, the matrix was the documentary. Because that was my movie, man. You said it impacted your football oh my career. God, did it ever. It was weird. That movie, everybody watched it, they talked about how great it was. And I'm one of these guys, you tell me how great everything is, uh, it can't be that good. And I wait. <laughs> so I didn't see it until it was on like one of these cable channels. And I'm watching it, and that point where he, they, he gets shot, mm. and you think he's dead, and then she believes in him, and she kisses him, and he comes back, and then the, Mr. Smith turns around, and they shoot at him again, he goes, no. Yeah. Uh, stop, whatever. And he takes the bullet, and, and yeah. then he, and, and Lauren Fishburne goes, he is the one. He believed in himself. He didn't limit himself. He limited himself up until that point. And I used to think, oh, I get a sack. Oh, I got a sack. Okay. Oh, that's good. I don't know if I can get another sack. Oh, man. Oh, I get two. Oh, I don't know if I can get three. And I started, why can't I get Why say one is enough? Why, why am I limiting myself in anything I do? And as a football player, it changed me. I set the sack record that year. I didn't have a sack the first three games of that season. So to get all those sacks, it was in 13 games. It's incredible. Which I look back and go, holy smoke. But it was, I don't know, I just would go and go. And I didn't say, okay, Michael, that's good enough. It was like, okay, Michael, you got one. Go get two. Go get another one. And go get another one. And that movie taught just truly that moment. It was like I see it now and I smile because it just makes me realize we limit ourselves and why. Yes. You hold yourself back when there's no reason to hold yourself back because there is no reason, as a friend of mine told me, Mike, he said, Michael, there's no reason that a black man with a gap tooth in his mouth who can't say the letter S without spitting on people should be on TV talking for a living. And he's 100% right. <laughs> so I have proven that the Matrix works. <laughs> Anything is possible. That's awesome. That's your version of, you know, stopping the bullets. Yeah. I like that. I was watching that clip today. I was thinking about you. I was thinking about The Matrix, and I put that clip on where he says, are you telling me I can dodge bullets? No, Neo. When you're ready, you won't have to. Oh, like that. that like, I know what a nerd I am. Like, I totally get that. <laughs> but, like, I geek out to the shit. And the funny thing well, it is... It gives me so, chills. Even you say that, it's like, oh, you're bringing it back. Oh, yeah. As you were saying it, me as well. And the funny thing is, so people look at you, and they think... Oh, it must come easy for him. It mu he must not um, have a problem in social situations. You know, all that's oh, on the football field. Oh, he's just a big, tough guy. So, yeah, of course it's easy for him. And the thing that I love about the... I don't think that you can be on camera and not create a persona, right? Because you're going to have mm -hmm. to project something. So you're asking yourself, what am I going to project? But I love that you 
have clearly made the demand that the thing you project has to actually be you. Mm -hmm. And so you're so honest. And for someone like me who has spent so much time like, am I the only one who's afraid of shit? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, I have to overcome this all the time. And so yeah. people always say to me, like, oh, you must be really relaxed in front of the camera. You see, I'm like, I am literally, like, freaking out every time before yeah. I do one of these shows, like, the 10 minutes leading up to it, mm -hmm. thinking, God, am I going to be able to pull it off this time? Or, am, or is, is this the one, right? Imagine right. doing that every day. Yeah, That's me every day. It really is. And the thing is, innately, I'm a shy guy. I'm still that chubby kid, Bob. With easy access to the wallet. With easy access to my wallet. And I'm still that, that shy kid. So it's, I do what I do and I love what I do. But the second that is over and I'm like walking down the street and people go, Michael, 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 it makes me want to curl up like that 13 year old kid again. And I don't know what it is. When I played football my first year, I played when I was seven and eight years old. And I was a good player. And I cried the entire game. And I tell you, not just cry ball, like <laughs> snot, <laughs> snot bubble cries, like nasty cries. And the coach would pull me out. It was wrong. I'm, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's because I would make a tackle or I'd make a play and the parents would clap and yeah, and I go, and I just, oh, it made me so uncomfortable. Right. And that's how I get a little bit when I'm, when I'm off camera mm. and people come up because Oh, you did this and you did that, and it makes me feel like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. When football was over, I kind of, you know, I know what I did, but I don't pay attention. I have a Super Bowl right. ring, and I, I pull it out if somebody asks me to see it. But other than that, I forget I have it. I know I got it, but I forget physically the ring. I know I won that game, and it's just weird. I don't hang on to stuff like that, you know. I, I kind of. I feel like holding on to the past is kind of keeping me from mm. moving. And one day when I decide I don't want to go forward anymore and I'm done career-wise, then I'll look back and I'll go, okay, well, maybe I was pretty good. That's actually really interesting and really powerful for me because I feel exactly the same way. Now, I may have gotten lucky in this because my memory is actually really bad. Um, Your memory's bad? Oh, my friend. My friend, I'm telling you. So, and this is this is one of the like right now wow. you're doing that thing that people do to you and you fucking hate. So, <laughs> how how am I able to do this? Because I work my ass off. Because mm -hmm. I understand that my memory is bad. Everybody thinks that the, everyone would think like for even me. I, and I'm knowing you, I would think your memory is fantastic. So let's say I want to remember ten amazing facts. I know I only remember ten percent. So now I got to read a hundred fucking facts. That's literally my life. Like, part of the reason I read as voraciously as I do, the reason I take notes, the reason I record voice memos, the reason that I go back over this stuff is because I, that's what I have to do to make okay. it usable, right? Yeah. So for me, it's all about usability. Like, what is this company, it, the aim of this company, the aim of this show is, is literally to get people out of the matrix. But you have to understand what that means. Getting someone out of the matrix is simply to get them to stop saying, I got one. I guess I can't get two sacks. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like once you do that, you're out. The limit. But you, yes, you have to, I have chills in my face. Just because this shit like, yeah. But, 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 but everyone thinks it's easy. Everyone thinks you're not scared. And I tell you, and everyone thinks you haven't had failures or that I've had plenty of failures. But I don't look at failure. I've never looked at a failure and said, oh, woe is me. Oh, I don't know. I'm just programmed. Say, oh, it didn't work. Okay, let's go. Next right. thing. Work harder. 
Figure something else out. Yes. Keep going. I'm not programmed to go, oh, it didn't work out. And let me contemplate and feel sorry for myself and, you know, and, and, and go over here and get sympathy. I just, I don't know if it's the way I was brought up or if it's from the business of football where it's a win or lose. Right. <laughs> it's like success or failure. And if you lose the football game, I don't have time to think about how I lost it and what I did wrong because if I'm doing that, the, next, the guy I'm playing next week is getting ahead of me. Mm. So I got to worry about what's coming up next and push for what's next and get better for what's next. Not get better for what's in the, not, not worry about what I wasn't good enough for in the past. Right. And I've done sitcom fail, um, business fail. You know, you, but you figure it out. Life is about figuring it out. Life is not going to be perfect. And if you expect it to be perfect, you're fooling yourself. And a perfect life without a challenge is not a perfect life. It's a boring life. Mm. Boring. Did you see the movie um, War Dogs? Oh, the gun runners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. All right, there's a great line in there, which they don't intend this way, but when you were talking, it really hit me. They say, the money's made between the lines. Mm-hmm. Now, in the movie, they're talking about something a little bit different, but when you were saying, like, I um, fail and I think about, okay, what's next? How do I learn from this? You know, what's the pivot? How do I move or, you know, reinvent yourself? Um, that's, that's the money. Like, if people want to know how you've had such astronomical success in so many crazy different arenas, it's that when you said life is about figuring it out, I was like, no one's going to write that down. Like, people at home, and I'm putting a fucking pin in it, so people will write it down, because once they get that the magic of Michael Strahan is that, that you take the time to assess and figure it out, like you were saying with GMA, and watching you on GMA has been so cool to see you really changing from what you were doing on live with Kelly and Michael. Like what you were calling the, it was personality, you know, roll up and shine. Yeah. And then now this, I see you, and you've talked about it, and you talk about it in the book about I wanted a challenge and I needed to know am I, am I saying no to this because I'm scared? Mm-hmm. Because if that's it, then I'm going all in. Because fear is something that you can it. overcome and figure out. That, dude, that to me, like, the juice is worth the squeeze, right? Yeah, the juice is worth the squeeze. You read that book. But I definitely definitely was I did more than read that book. (laughs) (laughs) I have notes upon notes of that book. It is really powerful. Thank you. I was blown away. So good. Well, you know, the mission accomplished then, you know, and I, I... and I don't know, man, I, you talk about all the accomplishments and stuff, but for me, I, like, I, I really haven't done any, like, much. Like, I feel like I'm just, like, starting. I love that. And, and that's, that's, Tell me if this is true. The reason that you feel like that is because you're always looking forward, you're not looking back, and you're always putting yourself in a situation where you're a little bit sucky. And your goal is to rapidly stop sucking at that. But by the time you're good at that, you're already looking at the next thing that you're a little bit sucky at. And the cycle repeats, right? But that's how you escalate. Mm-hmm. So when you and I went and we met your mutual friend yep. or your friend, uh, who what he does with homes is unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, is, it is on another planet. And you and I got in the car and we're like, there's levels to this shit. Yep. <laughs> you know, because it was like, <laughs> what is happening? Like, we thought we were doing all right. Yeah. There's some levels to this shit for real. <laughs> it, was, it was bonkers. But 
I felt in that moment such a kindred spirit to you because I did not look at that house and go, I can't have it. I looked at that house and thought, what do I need to do? What's next? Yeah. What situation now do I have to put myself in? Like, what is that construct? And I think of that, you know, going back to the matrix, I think of that in, in sort of all aspects of my life. Like, what's that next thing? And thinking about what you're doing, the partnership that you have with JCPenney, mm -hmm. like, how do you have the guts to kick that off? Fashion to to tr like true entrepreneurship. It's no longer personality driven. Like your stuff's gonna live and die. Yeah. Is that that next phase for you? Well, you you and I are very similar in that too. That I I don't look at something and think it's unattainable. I look and I go, okay, I got to work a little harder if that's something I want or something I want to do. And 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 J C Penney was a perfect example. That, that you know the collection, which is suits and ties and everything you need. To look sharp, like, you know, when I'm on GMA, everything I wear there, Fox NFL Sunday, everything I wear is that. Everything the guys on Fox NFL Sunday wear is, is really? my line. Yeah. Wow. And um, Troy Aikman and, and Tony Gonzalez. So it's really something. But the reason it's authentic to me mm. and I'm involved, so I'm just not a passive, yeah, those fabrics, you guys do it, put a suit out there stamp my name in it, and it's good. Oh, I look at every swatch of fabric. I look at every dress shirt, mm. every tie, belts, shoes, socks. It's exhausting, yeah. but it's necessary because I know people who work really hard with me on that, and I want them to know that I'm as engaged as they are. And from the marketing of it to who we're going to pick the model and ads. Um, the direction of that. But for us, we were so happy because it was a start. It was a start. And I think we started maybe 200 stores just to get a little filler. I look back now and I think, wow, it's only been like a year. Mm. But we've been successful enough that we were 500. And then now Jesus. we're going to 600 a year ahead of schedule. Mm. And then we kicked off MSX, which was like, you know, fleeces and casual and like um, athleisure wear. So we kicked off a whole nother line with them. Athleisure? Athleisure. It has just completely evolved into this thing that is like, hey, why not? Right. Why can't we? It's authentic to me. I don't do it and not wear it. I don't do it and you don't see me in it. I'm in it every day. So I'd rather be authentic and, and everything that I do and everything that we do as a company with we do that is authentic to whoever we are putting into positions, including myself, that people can stand behind it because they know that's really you. And that's important. Yeah, there's so a lot of entrepreneurs watch this show. And there's two things you said there that I think are incredibly, incredibly important for entrepreneurs to understand. And that's one, that you get one of the defining characteristics of being an entrepreneur is dealing with the mundane. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in what you're doing enough to fight through the mundane, like if you look at this set, if you knew what we had to do to build this fucking thing, like it is, it is like one tedious thing after another. I, I have, on pieces of this set, there is actually my blood because, but that's just right. But that's, that's what that's you have to do game. to make it happen. Right. So it's not like, wait, why am I painting this? It's that's what we have to do. Why am I looking at this watch of fabric? That's what you have to do. It's mm -hmm. like you have the vision. You believe in it enough. You're going to see it through all the way to the end. And when I was painting, I thought this is the part of being an entrepreneur that people don't understand. Yeah. Like this is not what they think. They think of it kind of like fame. Oh, shit, your boy. I know we got to get you out of here. But your boy, Kevin Hart. 
So I'm assuming you've seen Laugh in My Pain. Yes. All right. So he has yeah. this quote, which I just I went to. I went, actually went to the live concert as inserted into that film. Uh, he's, he's phenomenal. Dude. When, he's phenomenal. So I didn't know. I knew him as a comedian. That was it. At the beginning of the, the film version, they do that chant. Everybody wants to be famous. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to put the work in. Yeah. Everybody wants to be famous. Nobody wants to put the work in. And I was like, oh, my God, Kevin Hart, like, totally it. understands it. it. So I was blown away. And I was like, that guy's going to last. And then you mentioned him in your book about being a guy who puts the work in. And I thought, that's There's, so true. There are two guys in entertainment who I know put the work in. And I respect them so much. It's Kevin and, and Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Yes. Because I watch these two and I, and I study these two and their approach to everything that they do. Um, and it's always joyful. It's always... Um, they have so much energy and so much conviction about what they're doing and a belief. Yeah. And, and, and I'm feeding off of them, even though I'm in a totally different business, because it keeps me going to the point of where they'll say, man, you know, you work too hard. Man. hard. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? You guys are working. So I think we all kind of feed off of each other to mm. push each other, even though we're all in, in like different spaces sometimes, to be successful unbeknownst to the other sometimes. And I think that that is... You got to have role models. You have to have people that you look up to, uh, that that make you push yourself, and make you want to um, be better. And when it comes to business, and you talking about painting on this set and doing all these things, if you do something, and your name is on it, your name is right there. If it's not successful, who's going to get blamed for it? Right. You. If it is successful, who's going to get credit for it? You. And I found that if I'm going to get blamed for something, because it's happened before, that I didn't really put everything into yes. it, I'm pissed that I'm being blamed for something failing because I didn't put all the work into it. Right. But yet, for me, if I'm getting all the credit for being successful, and I know I didn't put anything into it, I feel like a fraud. Right. And, and you got you to gotta put up with that for yourself. And maybe some people are comfortable with that. I'm just not comfortable with that. Right. So that's why all the businesses I like to be a part of because I don't I don't want to feel like a fraud. I want to if, I, if someone asks me about it, I want to talk to you about it. I'm real. I don't have to make up some story and then go home and go, oh, you know, boy, I sure had to lie about that. It's not a good feeling. So if you're gonna get blamed for failure, accept it. Hey, I put all my I put everything I had into it. It failed. Move on to the next. But I know I busted my ass. And if you're getting credit and everybody getting credit for success, you can feel good because you truly have been a part of that, too. And, and that's something that keeps me involved in everything. And, and like I said, those, The Rock and Kevin are like, bust your ass. Bust your ass workers, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, no like you. Thank you. All right, one last question. What's the impact you want to have on the world? Hmm. I, I don't know. You know, the biggest thing for me, to be honest with you, is just, it's like my kids, making them proud, letting, letting them understand the, about hard work, respect for not, like, not like, give me respect, but how to respect people, and just to be nice people. And, and on that, that's really my main focus is to, you know, make sure that when I'm gone, more people are happy that I was here. And that they don't show up at the funeral to make sure I'm really dead. <laughs> That's it. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for Thank coming. Thank you, man. It was such a Love pleasure it. to have you. Great time. 
All right, guys, this is somebody that you are going to want to dive into in a big way. You're going to want to learn as much as you can. You are definitely going to want to start by reading his book, Wake Up Happy, which is the perfect title. He talks about happiness is not a test that you take once and then it's done. It's this ongoing pursuit. And the real way that he talks about it, from neurochemistry to all of the truths of the way that life is going to knock you sideways and you've got to find a way to recalibrate and balance. And he talks about all the different steps and things that you can do and take to actually find that path to happiness and actually be somebody who wakes up happy and somebody who encounters a negative situation and has the tools, the things that he repeats in his head, the framework to view the world that will actually help get you back on track. It is super powerful. You would love it. Watch his induction into the the Hall of Fame speech. It is him in a nutshell from both the just joy of life to loving the sound that another grown man makes when you tackle him and you hear the breath escaping his body. It's hilarious. You have to hear it. It's an amazing story. And guys, you can join Michael on Sunday, February 5th as NFL on Fox covers Super Bowl 51 live from Houston. Anytime this man is live, I'm trying to be there, see it, watch it because he does everything with joy and authenticity. And for those of you who are about to write me and say, you never said what the other thing was that he mentioned that's so powerful for an entrepreneur, and it's authenticity. And this guy has it from top to bottom in everything that he does, and I will vouch for him on camera, off camera. It's exactly the same person, and that's so fucking cool. Thank, Thank you, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, Thank Michael. You. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, guys. Until next time, my friends, if you haven't already, be sure to follow at... Tom Bilyeu and at Impact Theory. That's the new bad boy. Check it out. Join us. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, be legendary, my friends. Take care. Well done. Thank you so much, man. What a pleasure, dude.